You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Goody Two-Shoes. When my friend Howard and I were in our early 20s and slightly drunk and out among friends, I could often be heard saying to him, Tell your enchanté madame story. At which point, Howard would get all shy and bashful. He'd say, No one wants to hear that old story. And then I'd say, Stop being coy. And he'd say, I'm not being coy. Then I would say, I know you since kindergarten, and I could tell when you're being coy. Then I would lick my finger and stick it in his ear. Then he would punch me in the arm, really hard. Sometimes, when he was genuinely set on not telling the story... I would tell it myself, and as a result, I got pretty good at telling it. Growing up, Howard was my best friend. He was a chubby kid who had a habit of tucking his red turtleneck into his underwear and using Yiddish expressions like, Oy vey. These things, along with his high-pitched voice and smiley nature, all contributed to making Howard a bit of a social outcast. As a result, he spent much of grade six suffering injustice after injustice at the hands of his classmates. Among them, having all the girls sing Fatso Man to the tune of Macho Man to him, and having Howard written under a poster of Wilbur the Pig from Charlotte's Web. Even though I was in his class back then, when Howard tells me these grade school horror stories, I have a hard time recalling them. As a quiet kid with a lisp forced to wear corduroy leisure suits, I guess I had my own share of problems. Anyway, despite the daily barrage of fat jokes, Howard tried very hard to make himself liked, and so when his bar mitzvah rolled around, he invited a who's who of popular kids. He explained to me at the time that he couldn't invite me because I wasn't popular enough. I told him that I guess I understood, and he promised to show me all the pictures afterwards. Another thing Howard did to score points was take everyone in class out for pizza and french fries every day after school. There was this place on the walk home called Atomics Pizzeria, and they had an old-fashioned jukebox, and Howard kept it pumped full of quarters, playing songs like Blondie's Heart of Glass and Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. While the kids ate the pizza, Howard enjoyed a bit of popularity. Once a kid even put his little arms around Howard's neck and said, What a guy! But when it was all done and their greasy little balled-up napkins littered the table, the kids would express their gratitude by saying things like, Thanks, Tubbelard, or See you tomorrow, Chunky Daddy. Nonetheless, Howard felt like he was making progress. The most eventful week of Howard's elementary school career was the week before grade six ended. At this point... Our family had already moved to another neighborhood, and I was attending a new school. But Howard would tell me years later about the day his grade six teacher, Mrs. Feldman, read out the list of students who would be graduating into junior high. Absent from this list was Howard. He raised his hand and asked Mrs. Feldman if there was some kind of mistake. He knew very well that she was capable of playing mind games with him. After all, when the school photographer had called Howard Boss Hogg, She had just about choked on her own tongue with laughter. I just don't think your grades merit your graduating, she said. There was that feeling of of end-of-the-year festivity in the air. 
And so the students, who usually would have been just as content to see Howard stay in grade six for the rest of his natural life, started kicking up a fuss. Let Howie graduate, cried the children. All right, said Mrs. Feldman. Let's put it to a vote. Whoever agrees with me and thinks Howie should not pass, clap your hands. A couple sociopaths in the back clapped and booed. And now clap your hands if you do want Howie to pass. The kids clapped wildly. And so Howard made it into junior high, thanks to the democratic purity of the applause meter. Howard said that passing because of his classmates' love was sweeter than actually passing due to academic competence. Then, still flush from his victory, Howard went to the grade six prom. He was pumped and arrived drenched with anticipatory sweat. He was set to party like it was 1999. That night at the dance, the boys got into this thing where they all counted how many dance partners they had had. Howard had 22 dances, which he was very proud of. Though Keith Bender scored 78, which seemed impossible unless you actually switched partners in mid-song. Then some of the kids started to ask the teachers to dance. Lorne Kaufman started the whole thing by dancing with the gym teacher, Mrs. Joliet, who sort of looked like Chrissy Hind. Lorne came up to her chest. They slow danced to Air Supplies, "I'm All Out of Love," and Lorne got this very serious, sincere look on his face. Afterwards, he told the other guys that Mrs. Joliet obviously had feelings for him because of the way she kept her hands on his back and not on his shoulders. The Lord of Misrule ruled, and Howard sweated up a storm. His white dress shirt became so soaked it looked like that of a crazed sorority girl's at a wet t-shirt contest in Myrtle Beach. He double-fisted pink popcorn and swigged back Dixie cup after Dixie cup of Coca-Cola. The sheer good luck of his graduating, the prom, and all 22 dances gave Howard the confidence to do something unimaginable. He decided to ask Mrs. Feldman to dance. He was going to lead the woman who had made his life a living hell for an entire school year. The woman who once made him go stomach to stomach with Barney Saltzman to determine who the fattest kid in grade six was, he was going to lead this woman onto the dance floor. Howard later said he believed that this was what going off to junior high was all about: letting bygones be bygones. Mrs. Feldman accepted his offer, and Howard led her out to the strobe-lit dance floor, where he held her to his chest while she just sort of kept her arms at her side, smoking her Benson and Hedges 100s and talking over Howard's head to the other teachers. Howard later described Mrs. Feldman's smell as a combination of Charlie perfume, Lysol, and gin. Now, usually at this point in my telling of the story, Howard would demand to take over. Just because he wanted to make sure everyone heard what was to come next, just right. I was always glad to pass over the reins. So the dance was over, Howard would say, and I walked Mrs. Feldman back to the edge of the dance floor. But then, just before walking away and leaving well enough alone, I decided to offer up one last flourish. And honest to God, if I could take one thing back that I've done in my life, it would be what I was about to do next. I looked her solemnly in the face, and then, like some 17th-century courtier, I said, "Enchanté, Madame." And as if that wasn't enough, I then curtsied. 
When Howard was finished telling the story, everyone listening would reassure him, telling him that he probably looked really cute curtsying and that Mrs. Feldman had probably gotten hers in the end, winding up alone and gin-soaked. But Howard would shake his head, unconvinced. We liked to tell that story a lot back when Howard and I were in our 20s and really thought we understood quite a bit about the nature of regret. To Howard, that's what the Enchanté Madame story essentially was. A story about regret. According to him, it was the single most regrettable incident of his life. This from a man who would go on to do some pretty regrettable things, like popping nine and a half hits of acid and almost dislocating his shoulder trying to run through a brick wall, convinced that reality was a shared dream. Thinking back on it, Howard felt like the curtsy had meant that he'd allowed the one person who'd been meanest to him his entire life completely off the hook. His next chance at payback would only occur 15 years later. Our friend Greg's father died, and Howard and I drove back to the old neighborhood to pay our respects at the Shiva house. Howard's mother had loaned him her big black Oldsmobile, and driving it around in his dark suit and sunglasses put Howard in a good mood. After we left the Shiva house, Howard drove us all around the old neighborhood while talking in a Robert De Niro Brooklyn accent. Let's go pay a visit to Mrs. Feldman, Howard said. I thought he was joking, but he started heading to our old school. And when we got there, Howard drove into the parking lot, and then right through the old opening in the fence. There we were, driving straight into the schoolyard in the middle of recess. The kids stopped their games and looked up at us. Howard threw the car in park right in the middle of the hopscotch courts. He just sat there, looking straight ahead through his dark wraparound sunglasses. The kids couldn't help but start inching towards the car. Howard rolled down the window. You guys know if a Mrs. Feldman still works here? The kids silently nodded their heads yes. Will one of you run in and get her for me, he asked. She isn't here today, a little girl said. Howard paused for a long moment trying to think of what to say next. Well, you tell Mrs. Feldman that Howie Chakowitz came around looking for her. Then he opened the car ashtray and grabbed a handful of his mother's parking meter change and threw it out among the children. The kids looked at us and we looked at them. A lunch lady started walking towards us and Howard cranked up the radio, fumbled the gear shift into reverse, and we peeled out of there backwards. Howard later said he wished that someone had showed up to his school like that when he was a kid. An older guy in sunglasses who had been through it all and had somehow come out on top. Those kids will remember me for a long time to come, he said. When we got back on the street, it was only 1.30, and we didn't have to have the car back until 5. So we decided to go out for pizza, and I insisted on paying. Hang on a second. Okay, well, I, I, I did it, and it's... Why is it taking you so long to do anything? Because it's not booting up. What do you mean it's not booting up? What do you see when, when you look at the screen? I see a black screen. I see my own reflection. Is, is, is there light coming through the screen? Is it blue or is it black? There's, there's nothing. It's, it's a complete dead, 
black screen. All right, let's just go back to the beginning. Do, do you have the blue screen showing? I don't have a blue screen. It's completely black. It's not my fault. It's, it's your computer. It's, it's completely. It's die. It's not doing anything. I don't understand what you mean. You know, you're, 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 I'm glad you find this amusing. This is like freaking me out. I'm under deadline. I you need... rebuild your permissions. I did. Yes, I did. You restored your permissions and you trashed your preferences. I did everything you told me to do. Yeah, but it's not just what I told you to do. It's everything has to be done with extreme precision. Oh, now you're telling me this. When I wanted to bring it into the computer store, you were, no, 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 I'm going to help you. You know, I told you, well, I don't if know. If I'd known you were going to put on your mittens and bang on the computer like a trained orangutan, I would have told you to bring it to the computer store. But the average citizen can follow my simple stepwise instructions and not wind up deleting everything on their hard drive. Wait, hang on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Everything is gone. When you say everything is gone, what are you talking about? Picture everything. And then picture it all being gone. No, okay, now when you what I'm talking wait about. a second, when you say everything, are you talking about like all my writing and stuff like that, or you're okay, just I'll, like I'll the I'll it down for you. Picture everything as snow. Then picture it being summertime and all the snow melts and everything's gone. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? Your disk is wiped. You, you, I didn't know what I, you told me. You first of all, I didn't erase your computer. You erased it. Let's be clear on that point. So that's why you back up your data. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything backed up. What do you mean you don't have it backed up? I told you I didn't want to erase anything. I told you when we got into the disk utilities that there was, a, you had to be very careful. Do you remember? Yeah, you, yeah, you said careful, but you didn't say I, I was erasing everything on my hard drive. Yeah, well, you didn't tell me that you were a cowboy who was working with no backup. You that's didn't even insane. ask me. I, I don't have any backup. Here's the good news. The only reason that you back anything up is what is known in the computer world as mission critical data. If all you lost was your writing, nobody's going to get hurt. What was in your writing, like your your food diaries and letters to the editor that you're never going to send, and like your Oscar acceptance speech? Boy, you know you're you're really Mr. Compassion. Twenty-one megabytes of Jonathan Goldstein is lost to the universe. Is that what you're telling me? That's what you're telling me. I should cry about. Mm-hmm. Back up your hard drive. Thank you. Thank you. That advice. that really helps me now. What I do personally yeah. is I clone my hard drive mm-hmm. and I have that in a fireproof safe, yeah. which I keep at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And then I burn everything to DVD. Well, that's great. And I back that up, and I keep it in another waterproof safe in another location. See, this way I'm covered. Well, you're like a real Boy Scout, aren't you? This is common sense. Mm-hmm. And I know that when and if my plane goes down or the bus runs me over or my enemies finally catch up with me, that I have all my writing stuff, I have all my address books, I have my eulogies, I have all the people who I'm holding grudges against. Wait, 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 excuse me. What are you talking about, eulogies? Eulogies, in case my friends die and I'm overwrought, I'm not going to have a chance to, like, carefully write their eulogies. Wait, 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 hang on a second. So you've pre-written eulogies? That's SOP, my friend, standard operating procedure. Every newspaper and media outlet in the world does it. I mean, don't you think that's sort of morbid? When you're overwrought, if you care about someone and they die, you don't want to have to then have some college writing assignment. Might as well do it when you're cool, calm, and collected. Really? Yeah, what do I want to do? Be scribbling furiously on the back of a napkin at some funeral while people are crying and offering me little half-finger sandwiches? The whole point is to be prepared. And, you know, funerals are great networking events, so I want to come across as articulate and well-spoken. Yeah, that shows a lot of foresight. I happen to be a very articulate funerary orator. And you think you're going to be called on to, to give that many eulogies? It happens. It comes up. Pretty confident. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looked to as a pillar of my community. That's interesting. <laughs> Why do you sound so surprised? Who do, you, who do you think is going to speak at your funeral? Robin Williams? Bob Denver, he's already dead. So, like, who, who, so wait, who have you got in there? I got a pretty comprehensive list. I started when I was about 13. You've been doing this since you're 13? Yeah, and I did some retroactively, so I have everyone from 
you know, my piano teacher, my rabbi, the cantor, all the way through all my teachers, all the adults I knew, my family friends, my childhood friends. Wait, so you've, so you've got me in there, too? Of course I have you in there. I have them done by categories. I can pull it up in two seconds. Let's see. You're under lovable losers. Shall I read you it? Um, I feel a little funny about it. Well, the good news is the next time you hear this, you'll be dead. So. Yeah, that's good news. You know, I never thought I'd be saying this, but uh, go ahead and read my eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> Though his passing is great, Jonathan Goldstein was not a great man. You know, Gregor, I mean, what kind, what kind of... A... That's what's called an opener. Uh-huh. Some clear-eyed rationalists might even argue he was not a good man. Does this mean he was a bad man? Perhaps. Calling him bitter might seem unkind, and it violates the basic ideas we have about not speaking ill of the dead. But trust me, I'm being kind when I call him bitter, because what he really was was truculent beyond belief. You know, Gregor, where are you going with this? Shh. Full of vitriolic frustrations and the rage that he took out on the world. Never a kind word or deed for anyone. Gregor, this isn't a kind of eulogy. But to linger too long on that one little detail would overlook the Jonathan we all miss so much. Hmm. The Jonathan who is always there for us. Oh, that's nice. Lurking around with dark rings under his eyes. Mm -hmm. Unhealthy looking and glum. Yeah. That Jonathan wouldn't want us to be sad. Mm -hmm. If he were here right now, he'd be saying... Don't sit around here getting all morbid. Go over to my place, drink all my liquor, and throw all my vapid derivative life writing in a bonfire that bespeaks my memory. That's very nice. I am here to praise and lay rest to the other Jonathan, the one who secretly drank on the job. Gregor, that's not true. That was the Jonathan I will always remember. Quiet, quirky, alcoholic Jonathan. As well, I will always remember his laugh. Hmm. I don't think he was ever as happy as he was than when he could make someone else around him much more unhappy than he was. When I really think about it, the Jonathan I'll miss most is the guy who borrowed money from us and didn't pay it back. Because now that he's dead, we will never see him or our money again. That, that, that's, a, that's a eulogy? Sums you up in a beautiful capsule for all time. As an alcoholic deadbeat? I should print this out, and you could pin it to your cadaver, and that way when you make it up to the pearly gates, you don't have to speak. This can speak for you. That's really beautiful. You just pin it to your chest. Hey, check this out. The computer just lit up. Ye of little faith. The desktop's appearing? Well, you didn't believe in me. It's all here. But I believed in you. You didn't believe in me. What do you mean? I told you it was going to work. Hey, look at this. All my writing's here. Think of that. Uh, Your legions of fans. They almost lost all that to the world. Yeah. A lot you cared. No, I was very upset. Yeah, you seemed to be. It's a good thing that you were, like, keeping it together for both of us. Yeah, well, when you're in a position of leadership, you understand that perception matters. Mm -hmm. I was really scared for a minute there. You weren't scared at all. You were, like, you, you were happy. You have no idea. My mouth went dry. My feet started to sweat. Mm-hmm. It was very unpleasant for me. Yeah. But I'm really glad this worked out. And I'm not letting you read that eulogy at my funeral. Oh, really? How are you going to stop me? Daddy. Gregory, you're not going to be reading that at my funeral. <laughs> yeah, I'm, le- I'm leaving it at my gonna, will. Yeah, you're going to get out of your coffin and stop me? You can push me around all you want in this life. But once you're dead... Greg, and, and what makes you think that I'll be dying before you? Well, for one thing, you're drinking yourself. Gregory, I don't drink. Hello. Hello. What song is that? Do you recognize that song? That's how you say hello to a person? 
am I? I'm sorry. Am I disturbing you? You don't recognize what? that song? No. What is it? What are you talking about? Well, I have this. I've had this song in my head for for just weeks and weeks and weeks, and and uh, I thought maybe uh, if I if I played it for you, maybe you can tell me what it is. That's the are you start. making that noise with your mouth? Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know the song. I can't. You know, I'm not gonna go into the other room and get my guitar because I don't know the song. Right. I. I, I... John. That sounds like it could be about a million songs. I, I, uh, I'm at a loss. John, I'm not. I don't know what that song is. Could, I mean, could you do, you? do you remember any of the tune? Well, I'm doing the tune. That's not. No, that's, that's not a feel. tune. I know. That's this is the feel. My musicianship isn't so hot. Right. Well, how does it go? Can you give me a little bit? You want more of the tune? I yeah. don't know. I, I only know part of it and stuff. Like. No, no. Stop with that. Give me, give me, give me some of the tune at least. Something to go by. Here, I'll try to. Maybe if I use my hands and stuff, you know. I'm gonna put the phone down. You must recognize that. I like. I can't do it more perfectly than that. I, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. How, how did this whole thing start, anyway? I don't know. I don't know. I woke up going. Jay Gold, you have to help me. Right. I. I, I lawyer is calling back in a couple of minutes and stuff. He, yeah. he, he called me this morning. And 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 it was it's just bad. I'm being sued again, right? And he is this again. Bad. Well, it's, how many it's, times can one person be sued? It's not my fault. I just sit here and do nothing, and then right. you know people sue me because well, they want something. What are you stuff. What are you being sued for this time? It doesn't matter. It's I can't talk about it. Okay. But my lawyer is telling me what's what's going on and what's what's going to happen, and then mm-hmm. their lawyer called, and all I'm going is, is is in my head. I'm not listening to a bloody word, and I'm I'm in a lot of trouble this time. It's not. We're not fooling around. Well, and I'm supposed to, you know, I have to. There's like things I have to remember and details I have to make okay, John, for, John. for the court, and and so I called you to maybe help me, right? Well, because I have this bloody song in my head. Listen, this is no way to live. I mean, can, see, it's driving it, me crazy. Well, it's driving me crazy. Well, it's driving me more crazy. Okay, granted. Can you just it's in maybe? My head. Can you just maybe draw a blank? Like maybe just get it out of your head somehow? Do you do you meditate at all? Meditate. Yeah, you know, meditate, sit on the floor, quiet time, hands in a basket, legs crossed, you know? Well, I sit and stare a lot. I guess that's meditation. Can you meditate with the TV on? I go to bed, I've been going to bed at night, just like lying on my pillow going... And I, 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 uh, I, I'm running out of spit because there's nothing flying out of my mouth when I do that anymore. I have to get the song out of my head. And well, I, why are you asking me? I mean, I'm not, you know... Well, you're a DJ at a radio station. I figured they'd have a computer or something. What kind of I, access John, I'm not a DJ. What do you mean? Well, yes, you are. I've heard you on the radio. Wait, no, no, listen. I'm, you work I've, at CTV. Don't they have, like, a computer or something? No, okay, just... first of all, CTV is a TV station. Have you ever even listened to my radio show? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm right. You play good music. I'm not a DJ. I don't play music. I mean, I just I'm talk. I just talk. You definitely have music on your show. Well, there's some music. I mean, okay, please, John, please stop. listen. I got to get back to work. I, I, I have I, to get back to work. Forget your work. For you know, you, I'm, I've been bugging you for three minutes. This has been bugging me for weeks. You got to uh, know this song. All right, all right. Just okay. Okay. Are there particular instruments associated with this? I think there's guitars, but not too many at once, I don't think. John, why don't you go down to a music store and, and speak what? to one of the sales clerks? You could sing your little song for them, because these guys, you know, they have an incredible nah, knowledge of music. Want, and I don't want to have to... I don't want to leave the house right now. You don't want to leave the house? Not with the song in my head, no. Um, well, why don't you call up one of those, you know, one of those guys at the, you know, the rock radio stations, well, you know, who who know every single rock song in existence. Well, you know, they'll probably be able to get it. I'm shy. I don't want. I don't, I don't want to bother strangers. 
You know, John. I mean, what, 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 like, what, what do you, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, you, 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 you don't go to record stores. You don't make phone calls. I mean, what, what do you do? You know, I mean, really. I mean, it's, it's driving me a little crazy. Oh, I think you're close. You're close. What, 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 what are you talking about? I don't go to record stores. I don't make phone calls. No, I mean, it's, you know, really. Like, you're not trying to help yourself. Well, wait, quiet, quiet, quiet. I don't go to record stores. I don't make phone calls. What do I do? I don't go to record stores. I don't make phone calls. What do I do? I don't go to record stores. I don't make phone calls. John, do you need me for this? Just so, so, oh, goody two shoes, Adam and the ants. Don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You don't drink, don't smoke. There you go. What do you do? All right. Okay. What do you do? You help me out, Jay Gold. I appreciate it. You don't drink, don't smoke. Oh, what do you do? This is see. This is this is this is so wonderful. Thank you very. No, well, okay. Well, I, listen, I'm good. glad. I'm glad I was able to help you, you out. Do, so, do. um, good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to my stuff. No, no, no. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I need you for something else. Um, these two no. lawyers, they're they're. I need a character witness for some sort, um, just to prove that I'm a very John. I don't want to go to jail. On Wiretap today, you heard Gregor Ehrlich and John Tucker. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Bertwintonic. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Friday evening at 8.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.